It's stupid. It doesn't make any logical sense to manage that way at all. Like, you'd be more, uh... Welcome to 33 Tangents, a roundtable discussion covering a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Your hosts, Jason Thompson, John Naran, Jen Coons, and myself, Jim Driscoll, all live in different areas of the world, but work together in the same company. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. And John's on camera today. Yeah, I finally got I finally got the <laughs> the issue worked out. It, there's 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 all these different layers of uh, privacy layers. settings, layers mm-hmm. in, in the browser. browser. So it was like it was actually beyond the browser. It was some uh, oh, OS level sorry. preference with my browser or my browser. Now you're subconsciously feeding words into my face, jacking with my <laughs> mic here while we're recording. J- J- John and I were just talking about his uh, his new chair, and I'm like, Where, "Where's Where's Jim? He's usually the prompt one of the group." And John said, oh, <laughs> "This is this is post baby Jim, though." <laughs> no, I just need to go run and get another uh, cup of coffee. Right. Um, you know, I mean, he's been great so far, but last night was just one of those nights he did not want to sleep, did not want to sleep at all. Um, got up and fed him at three in the morning. And, you know, don't want to just like feed them and then put them right back in the bassinet, you know, give them a little chance to like burp and then, you know, fall back asleep. So he was nodding back off. I started to fall asleep. We got a little uh, recliner in his room and I'm like, okay, you're falling asleep. Let me quick change your diaper and then, you know, put you back uh, to bed. And he hates getting his diaper changed. So of course he wigs out and this is probably a quarter of four at this point. And, um, after that, at that point, he didn't want to go back to sleep. He was wide awake. And I'm like, you little bugger. Um, so yeah, I'm the, today's a multi cup of coffee day. Uh, you're on mute. Cause my mouse is my, I'm still have. I, I gotta, I gotta get rid of the Bluetooth mouse. I gotta go to the wired so I can quit complaining about how bad the Bluetooth mouse is. Yeah. I made, I made that switch. A few months so, ago, so bad and laggy. John, John's looking uh, fit. Huh? You're looking fit. Are you still oh, doing like your running thanks. thing? <clears throat> I am a little bit, but it's also the fact that it's like 115 degrees every day. So you just sweat it all off. <laughs> yeah. You don't even have to do anything. It's just everything. It does make a off. big difference with the uh, yeah. The sweat has to come from somewhere. <laughs> I know. I know. Fair enough. Well, it's 115 there. I was telling I was telling uh, John that it snowed this morning. So really, you yeah. got snow this morning. Yeah, I woke up to a skiff of snow. That's I some extremity. Yeah, it's it's not. I'm I'm so done. I, I I would be too. Utah's beautiful. You know, when I went out there to visit, but I couldn't live where they are with that that much snow. Getting snow in May not cool for me. It's not normal. Mm-hmm. We normally this is not normal. So. Anyway, that is that. What are we talking about today? So I'm, I'm curious to see where this topic will go. It's been uh, one of the items rattling around in the back of my mind because I know we all experience it from, from time to time. Um, and, and I have over a couple, you know, a couple times over my career. But, um, you know, this this will happen to, to consultants every once in a while where, they start working with a client and the client starts to try to micromanage them. And the micromanagement can take multiple forms, whether it's like expecting immediate responses to, to inquiries, questions, or, or whatnot, um, constant follow-ups on status uh, of items, even after, you know, being proactive on, on your side. Um, so, I want to dig into that because, you know, again, having experienced it myself, I know I'm probably not the only one and, you know, and, and it can be frustrating at times. I mean, being micromanaged as an employee is frustrating and toxic and not healthy, you know, in, in and of itself. But to be micromanaged by a client, it, it, 
it, it brings a whole other set of challenges. And again, not a very healthy relationship. So kind of wanted to start off with, you know, what have you guys seen with, with, with that kind of scenario? And then let, let's talk about the different ways that it could be handled. Yeah, and I think you brought up a good point is that I think the conversation can be abstracted to the employee because I think if if we if we break it down, it's probably happening for similar reasons. And while the um, while the challenges may be different, if you're a contractor or you're a consultant or you're an employee, I think at its core. It, it probably comes down to the same set of, of principles and, and why it's happening. So I'm not sure we could take this a, a number of different directions. To me, it really comes down to communication um, and, and setting proper expectations. And I'm, I'm going to quickly, we're like, what, five minutes in and I'm already going to go off on a, a slight tangent here. So um, I was having a conversation on Twitter the other day. I saw something on LinkedIn that talked about how bosses shouldn't send emails after like five or six o'clock at in during the day or after you know five or six o'clock at night it, it sets a really bad precedent for your employees that they have to be always on and i was thinking about that and i was thinking how does that work in today's landscape where and not even for companies that are fully distributed or fully remote you have distributed companies that have locations you know, over a wide geographic range, what does five o'clock mean? You know, when do I stop sending emails? Like John's in, in Thailand. So do I have to stop sending emails at 10 in the morning? It doesn't make sense to me. And so I, I put something out there on Twitter and it turned actually into a really good conversation about setting expectations about when a reply is needed and what is expected. And I think a lot of times as consultants, as employees, as bosses, as people hiring in outside expertise, we fail to have that conversation. And so if we don't have that conversation, then it seems like the default is everything is an emergency. Everything has to have a response now. And and so I think by simply being upfront with putting a bit more structure into how we operate and setting proper expectations, I think we address a lot of those problems right out of the gate. Now, is that going to address every problem where you have someone that wants to own and and truly be a micromanager because it feels like it gives them power? No, but I think it's going to solve a lot of the cases where the micromanagement is just a default because people don't know what the expectation is. And I think that that's been... Um, enhanced or there's been more visibility into that as the workforce has become more distributed and companies have been more open to remote remote work if i don't see you it's a hard i have a hard time knowing what's going on and so my default's going to be i'm gonna freak out i need to micromanage you until i understand what's going on sorry that was all over the place yeah it's interesting i mean i think you were mainly talking about communication which i um, totally agree with. I actually interpret uh, micromanagement as kind of overly demanding as well. I don't know if that was the intention you were thinking about, Jim, but uh, I, mean, I, I was think... thinking, you know, multiple dimensions of it. So yeah. uh, overly demanding is a, a good one. Just frequent and, you know, let's use a, a good term like incessant conversation or incessant communication that that's also another form it takes. So, I mean, it, it, it's multiple facets. In terms of, of that, I was actually wondering, uh, maybe posing a question back to us, if you think our business model in the sense that we're not charging, you know, per hour, per 15 minutes, per communication, does that uh, empower some clients and I, it's definitely the minority or non-existent in the on our current clients but um is does that empower some people to you know overly kind of try to act, take advantage abuse, of that abuse, abuse it yeah time? i think so but it, thankfully for us that has been a rarity um yeah i think there's a couple things one that's that's on sales to make sure they're selling the right deals um, that we're, we're aligning with the right types of clients, but ultimately that component, I think comes down to how you value the relationship. 
and I'm not going to tell the, I'm not going to say the name of the company or the person you're, you're, you're actually working with him right now on an engagement, John, John. Um, but we, we had a client in the past that I love to tell this story because it really helps to, um, illustrate how this model works is that it's built on mutual trust. So for, for, for us, we put a lot of trust in our clients that they're not going to abuse our time. If you read the the letter of the contract, there's a lot of leeway in there that they could abuse that time very easily and, and legally be justified to do so. Um, but we trust that, that they're not going to do that. And, and conversely, there's a lot of trust that our clients place in us because most of them are used to the billable hour model where they at least have some kind of unit that they can report back to and say, well, company X, spent five hours working for us. So at least there's that kind of measure that they can say something got done. We, we don't have that. What we have is creating value and solving problems for, for, for our clients. And so they put a lot of trust in us that that is going to get done and they'll have something valuable to report back to their management chain on. But what I, I love about uh, the story is that um, I had, we had this client call me up and say, Jason, I'm really concerned that my team is abusing your team's time. Um, if that's the case, please let me know. I don't want that to happen. I want there to be, you know, a mutual respect for what we're trying to solve together and we need to work on this together. And I said, it's interesting, why are you bringing that up? And he said, the last thing I want to do is for you guys to fire us because we need you. And this is a really important relationship for us. And the only way that we, this works is if we have mutual trust and respect for each other. And I love that conversation because it encapsulates why for us it works so well. And I think it can be expanded to, to other agencies, to the employee-employer relationship. It's about trust and, and knowing that over the long term that this is going to be a mutually beneficial relationship. And if we're looking to burn one another, someone's going to leave that relationship. And where does that, that leave us? So that's how we deal with them. We just end the relationship. We have, I guess. No, we have. To answer I mean, the we... core question of this this topic. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, it's the same way for an employee and employer. Right. right. I mean, think about it as an employee where you felt like there wasn't that mutual trust and an employer was just trying to burn you out. Uh, you know, ultimately what happens, you, you end up leaving that employer and it costs them dearly. Um, especially the type of people that, that we have, like, that's a huge loss to, to leave that relationship. And so, yeah, I mean, whether it's an employee, employer, a client, uh, agency, it's the same where I left off. I mean, it was a great rant wherever you were. <laughs> the audience can just extrapolate what you were going to say. Okay, no. fine. No. I, I, I don't know where I, I don't know where I left off. No, uh, you, you, um, John had mentioned about like you know the ultimate answer just you know being just just end the relationship, um, and you said you know th that's what we we've done in the past where we start to realize that there is a relationship where there's not mutual benefit and you have someone trying to to micromanage every piece of it. Yeah, and 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 again, I think it. That's regardless if it's um, client, agency, employee, or employer. It's the same dynamic where it comes down to relationships. And mm -hmm. if if you don't view it as a as a mutually beneficial relationship and it's one sided, ultimately it's it's not going to work out over the long term. And I think far too long, again, regardless of the model, it's been looked at as as one sided. In the employer employee relationship, it's the employer has the the upper hand. And, you know, I, I'm going to dictate and mandate what, what you're going to do as an employee. And it's, it's in our, in our world, it's, it's typically been the purchaser that has had the upper hand. I'm, I'm bringing you in, I'm paying you to do a service. And so I'm going to have the upper hand in the relationship. And so the consultant has often been put in a, in a lower position and we've tried to get rid of that model. We, we don't see one as elevated above the other and we've looked at it and that's both as at a 33-6 perspective. If you look at how we structure our teams and, and our reporting hierarchy, we're, we're very much, it's about a, a holistic relationship. And we've tried to expand that to our, our clients as well where we're not placing ourselves above them and we're not allowing them to place us beneath them. It's we, we see eye to eye and we have mutual respect for what we're trying to create together. 
And if we see this as a, a relationship that's mutually beneficial, we'll not want to take advantage of the other party because we need the other party in order to accomplish something greater than we can do on our own. Mic drop. Wow, we're done. That's the shortest <laughs> podcast that we've ever ever. Recorded. Yeah. I um hmm. post post <laughs> post baby post baby Jim needs more coffee to get going in the morning. <laughs> I love post baby Jim. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like so I, th 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 there's part of me that's like, dear God, I just want to sleep. Why can't you sleep through the night yet? But then there's part of me that's like, don't rush it. Like, you know, yeah. th th these are times that are going to go by fast. And right yeah. now he just, you know, uh, one of our routines is, is Suzanne will go to bed like uh, at nine and I'll feed him at nine. And then, you know, after usually then he'll just kind of snuggle in. So, I've, you know, we've got recliners in the living room. So I put the recliner up and he just snuggles in. And for the last several nights, we've fallen asleep there on the recliner for a couple of hours. And I'm like, okay, I'm not getting the best sleep, but it, it's still kind of fun. Because before I know it, he's he's going to be crawling and then walking and not want to, to, to do that. So, you know, it, it's a matter of weeks we're, we're talking about yeah, here. So it's like, yeah. you know, embrace it, enjoy it. And, you know, it, uh, yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's, and, that's what I'm trying to do. And and before you know it, he's going to be rolling in at one, two in the morning, and you're going to be like, "Why can't you just let me sleep?" <laughs> no, and and you know, like uh, of the two of us, and it, it, this is not to imply that she doesn't care, but I know I am going to be the one texting him when he's 17 at 11:30 at night, like, "Where the f are you? Uh, what are you doing?" <laughs> um, that that that's going to be me. Yeah, I am. I am the same. As much as I say, you know what? I'm just gonna. Uh, I'm just gonna go to sleep. It it just doesn't work. So yeah. Anyway, enjoy um, enjoy each stage for what it is. Um, exactly. So so I'm interested. Um, mm -hmm. Either as an employee or as a consultant, what are things that you've done, Jim and John, to to address it? So I'm sure that you can pull examples as 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 a consultant, and I'm sure you could pull examples as being. Uh, an employee where you have been put in a position where you felt like you were being micromanaged. What have you done that has worked and what have you done that made the situation worse? Um, I mean, I can go first and this is going to be a bit of a rambling answer uh, because I think there's, there, there, there's stages, um, you know, speaking of stages and growth. Uh, I mean, there, there's levels at which you, you, you try to address it. And I'll be honest, there were a couple times as an employee that I ultimately just pulled the ripcord. And, you know, after multiple conversations, um, I just was like, you know, th this is not, th this is not the environment for me. This is not the, the, the place for me and, and made the decision to move on. But that those situations or, the, you know, that remedy came after multiple tries elsewhere. And w one of the things, you know, I, I try to tell people is like, I, the, the, there's multiple different ways people lead. You know, there's the the rah rah cheerleader kind of of leader. You know, the person get, gets up and, and gives the the rousing speech or the the motivating speech. And then there's those that kind of lead by example and just like, hey, let me let me show you what 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 I do, how I do it. And th th that's typically the way I do. I, I just go about work in general. Let, let me just show you. Let me let my actions speak for themselves. And typically, that's where I start. Is um, because a lot of times I feel talk is cheap. Uh, so it's, let me show you what I can do. Let me prove that I can do it without, again, you know, a lot of times for me, the micromanagement has always seemed to start with just incessant follow-ups, you know, whether it's, you know, we, we, we talked about something yesterday and it's like, all right, I, I plan to have this out in three, four days or probably next, you know, I'm looking at next week for delivering this. And then, you know, a day later, it's like, can you give me another update on it? Well, we just talked about this yesterday. That's how they always seem to, to start. So how I try to start to remedy the situation again is uh, actually letting my work, uh, work speak for itself and, you know, make a commitment for a deadline you know, or make a commitment to a deadline for a deliverable, making sure that's hit. And after multiple times, like, okay, when I tell you something's going to be done at this point, or I will, you know, reach out to this person by this point, and I'm giving very specific examples, but, you know, showing and keeping it, having a track record of 
when I say something's going to be done, it's done and there, there's no need for repeated follow-ups. Again, that, that seems to be for me the most common form of micromanagement is just the, the incessant asking of where something's at. And yeah. that, that's what really grates on my nerves. Yeah. And I think you brought up what my recommendation would be is that it has to come from action, right? We can yes. complain about it and we can maybe do things to help alleviate the constant follow-up through providing updates and, and consistency there, but ultimately it comes down to delivery. And so if you're delivering consistently, hopefully that solves the problem. If not, then it's probably another level of issues that you have to deal with. But ultimately, I, that's what I have found is that people in, in that position just have a general lack of trust. And the, the incessant follow-up is giving them peace of mind that things are moving forward because there isn't that level of trust there. And so hopefully mm -hmm. you can you can address that by delivering often and consistently and build that trust. If not, then I think there's a different conversation that has to be had. Yes. So, and again, like I'm focusing on one, one symptom of micromanagement. Uh, because that seems to be the the most common one that I that that I come across um, is so like after you know developing a track record of you know doing what needs to be done you know, on time correctly with you know quality work delivered whatnot um, if, if that that still exists that's when I I, tr I look to have like the more direct conversation. And try to get to the root of it, because whether it's an employer, a boss, a colleague, or you know when you know, you know being a consultant, you know a client, um, I try to build that kind of personal relationship, that that, that that deep rapport where you can have very direct conversations. So then the next step is the direct conversation, and I mean th there have been times where I've had that, and. Uh, not to rehash previous conversations, but you know some of the answers I've gotten in the past were, were, well, I know that you usually do it, but I have to do it for everyone because there's others on the team that aren't as thorough. Uh, the, or the managing to the lowest common denominator. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's that, that's another uh, you know another thing that results in micromanagement is you've got employees up here, you've got employees down here, but I got to manage to everyone down here. Can, can, can I tell you just a, a side story? My first job, Go for it. Of, my first job out of college, I, I can't remember what I got. I, I got some kind of a perk from my boss. We, I was working on a project and putting in a lot of late nights and I got some kind of perk for it. And then I noticed like one of the other team members on the team ended up with the same perk. And I went into my boss's office. I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, this guy mm -hmm. wasn't even pulling his weight in this project. And a lot of us were, you know, doing double and triple time to pull this off. And he's like, he's like, dude, sometimes you just have to do that because it's easier to uh, to manage to that than have to deal with the complaining when, you know, he, when he didn't get what, what everyone else got. And I'm like, really, we're, we're going to do this manage to the lowest common denominator thing. But mm -hmm. it, it's it, it happens all the time anyway completely unrelated but it just reminded me of that when he said i'm like why, why, why are we giving this stuff to these guys <laughs> so i mean it, yeah no it, it, very similar situation so this is going back several years um working um for for, for technology vendor i i'm on the analytics team and um at that point that they they were open to like work from home days so there was still a central office everyone went into but you could work from home and s some people work from home four days out of the week and it came in just that one day to to meet with certain people in person then everything else every other time they were at home so at this point i was working maybe two days from home like mondays and fridays and i'd be there tuesday through thursday but the thing is is kind of where the office was at during the summer especially traffic was horrendous it could take me sometimes an hour and a half to get home based on, you know, on, on traffic. So that's why I went to my boss. And again, I'm, I'm delivering things left and right. I'm like, you know, how about a third day? I'll, I'll be here Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'll make sure key meetings are scheduled on those days. I will get more done at home. I, it will save me so much time in commuting. And the answer was no, I kind of need you here. Well, the root of the answer was, is not because I wasn't trusted. It was because there were other people on the team who maybe weren't as trusted as I was. And if I were given the ability to work from home three and probably even going to stretch it to four days, um, they would have to do it for them. And they wouldn't trust that they would get the work done from home. 
so do that for you, Jim, I have to do it for everybody else. <laughs> exactly. And while you may get stuff done, everybody else may not. So kind of need you here. And I'm like, okay, fine. You know, it, 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 and, and that, that, that's kind of demoralizing. Yeah. Um, so it's, well, you know, it's demoralizing we're, because we're, we're, we're pushed to do more and better, but mm -hmm. when we're treated like everyone else, then it's like, well, why am I trying to overachieve if, I, you know, it's it's a weird scenario. It, right? It's stupid. It doesn't make any logical sense to manage that way at all. John's like right. you'd be more. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in that in stupid. the in the case that Jim just mentioned, like who the unhappy one is, Jim, the overperformer, not yeah. the and the so the underperformer is happy. Yeah. Instead of making the underperformer oh. happy, to like who who would be the bigger loss Dude. to the company? You know, like it's. I makes mean, no sense. It is stupid. I, I get it. Can we? Can we're gonna have to pull that out as, out as a soundbite. It it is. It it is. It is stupid. But it it happens time and time again. Um, unfortunately, I've worked for a couple companies that went through financial hardships, and the the default position of management created an environment where the least valuable productive employees were the were the focus. And they were doing things to make sure that, again, we're managing to the lowest common denominator. And what ended up happening is what you could probably think. The people that we needed the most to stick around and help turn the company around were the first to leave. The mm -hmm. high performers, the ones that had options. But we you know, we weren't treating them the way they needed to be treated because we were managing to this lowest common denominator. We were making them miserable. But on the flip side, at least we were making the low performers feel like they were part of the team and happy. So... Whatever. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because my examples um, that I was thinking about about being micromanaged on the well, mainly on the, the client side, all have to do with uh, time as well as as most people's stories. Um, I'm thinking of three managers, like one that kind of made me always like that really managed everyone sitting in their seats at the you know at the right time, even if you were done with work, you couldn't leave. That kind of thing. Uh, there was the manager that uh famously asked me what i was doing on a on on a sunday and i said going to a baseball game and then the response was i hope they have wi-fi are you serious <laughs> yeah wow. yeah i am um <laughs> Man, and then this, there was this episode uh... could turn into just these stories because i think we all have some amazing yeah. sorry go ahead and oh, then yeah. uh <laughs> and then i'm also thinking of the time that you know i was managed every to track every 15 minutes <laughs> okay so i have i have two but, stories um, from i have in, two stories from that i'm gonna try to remember go okay but in any in any case i mean i think the i mean cutting the chase in all these cases and granted they were all earlier on in my career but the way i dealt with them in all cases was just to leave really <laughs> so um maybe that's a cop out of an answer but no, in, it, I mean, that I just didn't want to, I, I, I always felt like, well, especially earlier on your career, if you are micromanaged that heavily or in, in ways that just don't make any logical sense, at least in my experience, there's really a limited amount of what you can do to change the environment, uh, unfortunately. And I think that's why it's really stupid for management to, to act that way because you, you do lose talent yeah. and in all these cases the reason i left had nothing to do with performance it was all the fact that i yeah felt like a too much like a, a cog yeah. a badly treated cog no you're, <laughs> you're right just and, a cog, yeah yeah and you're right and you you feel like you have lack of, of power individually to do anything and that that's a good segue into into my next story is that i had an employer where that was the case. We were extremely micromanaged on time and we were told you will be in your seat at eight in the morning and you will not leave until after five um, at night. Um, and we're going to walk around and do, you know, head checks to make sure that people are in their desks at, when they're when they're supposed to be there. And uh, we were frustrated with with the messaging. You know, we felt like we're smart people. We're we should be trusted with getting the job done. Why is this happening? So to your point, we felt individually, we didn't have much option or say. So we got a large group of people together, brought in the the VP over our organization, and we aired our, our grievances and said, 
this is not creating a really good work environment for us. Needless to say, the meeting didn't go too well. Um, and uh, there's there's one one brief moment in there that really helps encapsulate the entire meeting. Someone raised their hand and said, I, I just have a what if scenario. What if I need to go get some dental work done? My dentist office doesn't open in, until nine and they, they close at five. What, what do you recommend that I do? I shit you not, this was the word. This was the response, and it was not a joke. Well, can you work with your dentist and see if maybe they can start earlier in the day for you or perhaps stay open on the weekend um, and you can go on a weekend? I, I, that was the actual response. And much to your, I hope the stadium has Wi-Fi response. And they're not joking. Yeah. Like, yeah. that was the expectation. Really? I'm going to ask my dentist to stay open because my boss says I have to be at my desk from 8 to 5. This is this is crazy. Yeah. I think there are going to be some people that are listening to this podcast that were potentially in that meeting. So This is why there are labor laws. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. But I, 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 I have uh, another story. Um, and this, John, goes along with like the managing down to, to 15 minutes. So working on the agency side of you know, uh, of the organization, they managed everybody's timesheets. And I mean, there were weekly timesheet reports and they looked at, you know, where you're at for the month, where you're at for the week and, and, and whatnot, and how much time you're putting in the admin bucket and, 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 and whatnot. So they would manage you down to like 15 minute increments and like your admin bucket was too high last week. Um, you know, are you sure you're not missing projects or even, you know, someone sends you an email that, that that's about 15 minutes you spend on that client and don't answer, you know, the email unless you have the ability to, to build to that client. But where, where this was at is, um, there was a guy on my team, top, top performer, and he was getting married and he took two weeks off, you know, for the wedding, they, they, they took like a week and a half for the honeymoon and then maybe a day or two before, before he came back. So then the following month when they ran the reports, they were like, well, he had a lot of time off last week. So his bill, you know, while his utilization rate remained the same, his billability was low. I'm like, yeah, he, he got married. Um, well, we need to minimize that. I'm like, it's a one-time thing. If you look at every month previously, his billability rate is near the top. It's, it's one, and they just kept coming back around. Well, last month it was this. I'm like, yeah, he got married drop it like like it's not like he didn't have something to do was it was just sitting there on his hands he got married like well what are we missing here i, I kind of wish we had hourly utilization rates so we could beat jim up for taking time off to spend at home with his baby that would have been fun <laughs> no it's it's crazy but this it it's it's even more impactful than that as a as a consultant or an employee where you're micromanaged down to those time buckets it it sucks my very first job out of college there was an experiment where we did time tracking to the half hour increment at least it wasn't to the 15 minute increment i wasn't a consultant i was a full-time employee but we had to do timesheets. Um, that was my first introduction to timesheets and I've hated it ever since. Uh, but my feedback to, to my boss at the time was, you know that we're like not giving you the real numbers. The whole idea was we're, we're gathering this data so we can better run the team and run the company. I'm like, but there's no, there's, there's no value to me as an employee to, to give you good data. I, I'm, I'm not getting any benefit from this data. And so I told him, I'm like, look, we're all giving you bad data just to, just, <laughs> just to just, get it done, just to get it done. I want you to know that. So the whole idea that we're gathering data to, to be able to be more informed backfire because we're, we're not giving you good data. So it's bad in that scenario. It's, it's even worse and potentially have some legal ramifications when you get to the consulting side of the world, because one of the biggest fears of a hourly or as of an hourly consultant is not meeting your your utilization rate and so what mindset does that put you in when you're submitting your timesheets on friday what what do you think about doing i guarantee most think about padding the numbers 
Oh, absolutely. I, I would rather pad the numbers than get yelled at again for not hitting my utilization rate. So that padding isn't just faking the numbers in my first job out of college. That padding now is faking the numbers that actually gets billed to a client that said, I did this work when I may not have. And that gets into some really, really dangerous territory. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, even the most honest person, your, your, your best employee will will do that just to get, you know, get the uh, the admin department who manages that and sends out the emails and whatnot about it just to get them off their back. There is, there's, there's no question about it. So I, I mean, you know, that's, it's tricky. Um, and, and a lot of these things come down to what we've been talking about is this, this concept of managing to the lowest common denominator. So maybe that, that kind of is the discussion, which leads to micromanagement and all of these oversight pieces is that we get to a point where that is the case. And, um, I've never built a company or run a team within a massive company. So I, you know, it's not fair to me to say how hard that is to, to do that. I, I don't know if you guys have experiences. I know John has worked for, for some massive companies. Um, but I imagine as you grow and scale, it becomes really, really difficult to not manage to your lowest common denominator to reduce risk. And so it may be easy for me to say, yeah, oh, you know, we have a team of, you know, we have a small team We're you know, under 20 people, it's, it's super easy to manage everybody to the right level. But at 2000 at 20,000, that probably becomes almost impossible. I, I don't know. So I, I want to also be realistic that I realize there's very real challenges with scale and size that, you know, with things that make perfect sense to me and clarity at a small scale, may not be easy and may not be possible at a large scale. I just, I just don't know. Well, that's why you work for a small company, you know, and not you specifically. That's why, you know, someone should work for a small company. For sure. And I'll say that I think it's stupid at any company size. (laughs) John is on another level today. I love it. (laughs) That's just stupid. That's just stupid. (laughs) I'm I'm always very short and uh, succinct. (laughs) I love post baby Jim John. <laughs> it's the it's the post baby Jim era. I think is yes. What, this is a good era. We need to reset the calendars. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I have one more quick story, and then I, okay. I'm, I'm sure we've gotten all over the map here. Um, <laughs> but back back to my first job out of college with the time tracking. Um, we were also on a. Uh, AO, was it AOL Instant Messenger? The little yellow icon guy going like this. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was Instant Messenger. <laughs> yeah, so we were on that and it had, the, you know, like all the all the platforms now, it's got the, you know, green dot if you're online and active, the yellow dot mm-hmm. if you're online but you're inactive, and then the closed circle if, you know, you're you're offline. Uh, we, we had management that would actively monitor how often your green dot was online versus your yellow I'm, I'm online, but I'm away dot. And, and someone in the engineering team wrote a little script that you could run on your computer that would, um, do something like to the mouse programmatically to make it look like you were at your computer when you weren't at your computer. So if we would like go take a break, maybe walk to another building and play ping pong, we'd load up that script, that script. And if the management team looked at our, online status it would show green even though we weren't there so haha <laughs> and i think you know, that story and you were also talking you know we were talking about with the timesheets i mean that, that that goes to show that um you know when you have that kind of micromanagement policy when you when you're trying to manage a person to that level especially those that um you know are your your, your top performers the ones that know what they're doing they're going to come they're going to find a way to, to to fudge the system so that you know what you're managing to is just ineffective but the, it just sends the bad to john's point it's stupid right it just sends, <laughs> it can't just, get around it it's, you can't get around it it just sends the wrong message to the most valuable people in your organization and even if they are finding ways to circumvent the system ultimately that can't be the a foundation for a good long-term relationship, right? So I may be, you know, getting away with being micromanaged and I'm finding ways to have you not micromanage me, but 
it's because I'm I'm trying to game the system, not because I'm in an environment where that isn't at play. And and ultimately, mm-hmm. your your top people are not going to want to be there. And and that's unfortunate, right? I mean, you see you see top people move around company to company until they find a good fit, but you often mm-hmm. see middle and lower performers sticking with companies a long time um, because they're treated fairly well i mean we're we're managing to that that lowest level um and i again i don't know what the answer is hopefully here we have people that stay for a long time jim what jim's up to like four years or something almost four years it's amazing i man I, <laughs> that makes me want to like uh, have tears of joy um nice <laughs> but you know hopefully that's because we're managing to a different different level but again and, and John's going to say it's stupid at any level. I, no. I don't, I don't, I don't know how challenging it is at, at a larger level and what the answers are. Um, I'm hoping this this conversation will generate some some conversation with our, our listeners, and maybe we can get someone on that ha, has solved this for for a larger organization. But um, to me, I think you you hit the nail on the head, Jim. That it's it's managing to that lowest common denominator that comes across as micromanagement to everybody in the organization and to a, a, a top performer like you or John, that isn't a place that you typically want to be. Mm-hmm. And, and, and won't we, you know, we, I think we, we've spent a lot of time talking about from the employee perspective, you know, whether it's, you know, the, you, you try to set the track record that, you know, this level of, management is not necessary have the conversations and yes ultimately it's you know you just you just feel it's toxic and you move on um maybe kind of bring it back full circle and start to to, to wrap things up um i think some of those things are are also applicable when you're looking at a um client consultant kind of relationship and i think it's you know it, yes it's starting out early on you know setting the expectation building the rapport but ultimately, maybe it's not your key stakeholder that's necessarily managing you to that level or trying to manage you like every other vendor. Um, maybe it's somebody else that, that that's part of the relationship. Are there different steps? Is there a different process to to try to remedy and and address that situation? Um, I think first and foremost, it's it comes down to communication and open communication. Um, mm-hmm. And so before things are escalated, I think it's a matter of having mutual respect for each other. And if you have someone on your project team you feel is overstepping their bounds or micromanaging is to have an open and honest communication with that person and not not in an attacking way, not in a going to them and I'm upset and I'm just going to lay it all out their way. But just having a conversation, and say, look, you know, we're, we're trying to accomplish something together. And let me talk about a few things that are making it difficult for me to do that. And, and maybe that opens up a dialogue where they open up and say, oh, you know, I didn't realize I was doing that, but, but you know, let me fill you in on a few things. I, I'm getting a tremendous amount of pressure from person X over here, and I'm kind of passing that on because I don't know how to manage that. We don't know, right? And so until you have that that open dialogue, it's, it's tough to say. And so I would say that that's where you have to start and just have that mutual respect for who you're working with, whether it's a key stakeholder or whether it's a, a person on the ground you're working with, give them that mutual respect. Um, and default position that we're trying to accomplish something together and they're not out to get you and they're not out to make your life difficult. If, mm-hmm. if you go into it thinking that, then it's probably going to be a no win because you're going to go in looking to fight. You're going to put them in a defensive position and it's probably not going to go over well. Um, and not to say you shouldn't be firm in those discussions, but you need to go in with respect. Um, and then ultimately, you have a, a chain that, that you can work through. If, if it doesn't work, we have key stakeholders that you can elevate those conversations to, to say, look, you brought us in to solve a problem. We're not able to solve your problems because team member X is, is trying to micromanage us and we're not able to jointly produce the value that you purchased. How are we going to solve that? But I think that should come later. That should come much later after first trying to address the problem up front with open, honest and, and trusting communication that we're, we're all in this together. Jason's getting too good at this. Yeah, Yeah, he is. Uh, No, I I think you you hit the nail right on the head there. Um, And uh, yeah, the worst thing I I was thinking of is the worst thing you could do is kind of go in frustrated. And sometimes that's one thing you don't want to handle in the moment. I mean, I know for me personally, 
when I, I feel that, that frustration coming on, that's when I should not address it. Because I know for me, I, I pretty much can, you know, when I get really angry or really frustrated, it becomes almost like scorched earth. Yeah. And that's like, okay, walk away. You, you need to calm down before you address this. And I, and I think that's great advice in, in general. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, I very, I'm very much the same way. Um, and dealing a lot on the sales side and working with procurement teams, they tend to really push my buttons. And early on, I would not take that pause and I would just full on go in there like, <laughs> oh, I wish we had the video recorded. Right. That was a great little thing too. It's a there's Difficult. a Simpsons episode where where Bart and Lisa are like, "All right, I'm just gonna you know be punching and I'm just yes. gonna be kicking, and if you walk into it, <laughs> you know that's yes. your fault." But that's how I would go into the conversations, and it never mm-hmm. went anywhere good. It was always a fail. So mm-hmm. I, I I agree, and it's a it's a good life lesson for for any kind of potentially heated conversation is to walk away first and recenter. And then come back at it at a more level, um, a more level playing field, so that you're not putting your your and I don't even want to say opponent or opposition. It's you know the other person on the other side of the table um, in a defensive position because it, it will be a no win in in that case. Now we're gonna have to figure out how to get video because we've had some good video moments. Here. Yeah, there's been some good video clips. The vi- the video is is working out phenomenally. So. <laughs> You know, the yellow guy that's going like this icon. This. And, you know, you're just punching like this. Yeah. You know, if I just start walking toward you. <laughs> um, so, no, I, th- I think this has been a, a, a great conversation. It. Uh, I mean, if nothing more, I've liked the personal stories of... Uh, I'm glad that I'm not the only one that has the dentist story, John, with his uh, Wi-Fi stadium story. It's, oh, yeah. Know, we've heard that's unreal. <laughs> I don't feel so alone now. Yeah. <laughs> Granted, no, the, I, I the, the stadium did have had... Wi-Fi. Sorry, I still talked over you. <laughs> Probably not good enough though to work. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I think we've all had the, those kinds of bosses at, at some point, and and honestly, I think in a way it's good to have them early in your career because it, it teaches you early on what not to be or you know how not to do it. But I also think it's also unhealthy to have it early on in your career because it. Um, or actually, another reason why it's good early on is because when you get further into your career and you find that 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 good boss, you you appreciate them more. Yeah. Uh, but also, I think it's it's kind of unhealthy too at the beginning of your career because it could, you know, really set some bad like subconscious um, patterns that you you don't realize that are there. So, you know, so, some so, you know it, it'll kind of like ingrain some some bad behaviors. Man, Jim, Jim, looking at the positive side, saying that the bad bosses out there are actually adding value. Yeah, no, I mean it, it, it does. Like, I mean, I, I early in my you career, you can't have the good without the bad. You know? Yeah, and you don't recognize the good without the bad to compare to. So, I mean, like, and just one bit of advice I would tell to to anybody who's just starting out in your career, you know, maybe seek out that bad boss for just a little while, <laughs> just so you can kind of see that that kind of behavior. Um, so then when you get further in your career, you recognize when you have a, a, a supportive boss that it really helped you grow. I don't think it'd be too hard to seek out the bad bosses either. And, and I think, all. have we had this as a, a topic before where we talked about, um, how companies don't invest in training their employees and that we yes. think that just because you're really good at doing what you do, then you're naturally going to be good in a management position without any training. That's mm-hmm. why there's so many bad bosses because we don't train people how to lead, and we think ah, mm-hmm. we should... anyway. That's a whole other conversation, and I think we've touched on it before. We have. I mean, we, I... we actually All right, get John. No, I was gonna say, but my my final thought twist was that um, yeah, kind of to Jim's point too. Like, there being a micromanager doesn't mean that you're a not uh, not a you're not a productive boss. I mean, you can you can be highly yeah. productive and highly successful as a micromanager as that's well. True. Yeah, it's true. But it just doesn't jive with with us. That's true. Yeah, but especially if you have an industry where it, it's you know you churn and burn. Um, you know, the, there's say a a, um, a glut of average to below average candidates. Um, you, you can just keep moving through them because maybe your business model just basically requires a warm body in the seat. Mm-hmm. That's true. Big five consulting agencies. I'm looking at you. 
they're really good at the churn and burn and they're, they're yeah. really they're really profitable and good at it so just not our model yep cool cool i like post baby jim <laughs> a little scatterbrain so took a little while to get going but once we got going yeah uh... <laughs> like most episodes we kind of start off slow and then it's like you know we we, we uh we, we, we come to a good conclusion agreed good to see you on camera john now we're gonna have to yep. uh, figure, figure out how to get the video feed jen says she's not going to be a guest if we have the video so mm. i don't know are we still recording yeah we're yeah we're still recording, recording. okay so I, I i like it when i like it when we don't even see the record button uh last was it last uh episode with jim gordon we had this like eight minute intro and we were just flowing and then and then we rolled into the conversation and and, and jim gordon said wait we were recording all that i said yeah we're keeping that. <laughs> Why not? And, good, and we published the, all of that too that's the good stuff right there when you don't For the, the record buttons on the end credits yes the end credits yeah. Did yeah, you did you end up seeing uh, Endgame? Uh, going tonight. Oh, tonight. Okay, cool. Yeah. So it was crazy just over the weekend. So I wasn't able to to get there. And then uh, I'm going with a buddy of mine. He had something Monday night, and then just last night we couldn't go. So we have tickets for tonight. Um, oh, cool. So I've like the last several days, I've just tried to lock down social media <laughs> as much as possible, just so I don't see like any like accidental spoilers or whatnot. Yeah, I actually I caught it over the weekend myself. Nice. I haven't said anything because I know. Please don't. I don't wanna... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I will. Uh, I'll yeah. give you my thoughts uh, tomorrow morning. All right. Sounds good. Cool. So I guess we can wrap up uh, for now, and uh, we'll catch you guys later. See you. All right. So long. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at www.33sticks.com. The 33 Tangents Podcast is a production of 33 Sticks.